0: thank you and i didn't see the presentation in the shared folder would would you be able to email it to me separately i can
1: email to everyone because it is definitely not in the shared folder but it it certainly can be after this meeting
0: okay thanks and then um i guess as soon as you know the dates of those meetings if you could you know send out a um a tentative date schedule so that because that would be a lot of meetings that we have to you know um in our current calendars.
1: Yes. And we'll be mindful and respectful of everyone's time to that to that end. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Member Graham. Um
3: so the the problem as I see it with putting this in a sub is it limits the participation of the entire committee committee um, in the formation and the, the early decision making. So Um, four members of the of this committee would not have a voice except to accept or object um, to whatever is presented at the, really at the end of the process. Um, And that's not what I think would make the most effective budget possible. So I would be an advocate for maintaining the committee of the whole structure. I, I don't care who chairs the meetings, but I do think that, um, School finance and and how we fund our priorities um, is critically important for the entire committee to have a voice in. Um, I also would love to see us pursue a better looking budget that is more understandable than we've ever provided before. Um, the MASC held a session in the last month or so where they talked about Uh, budget preparation. Um, I think the city did a wonderful job last year of improving um, the clarity and the transparency of the budget itself um, so that the community could understand what was happening. And I think we should be trying to do the same thing here in the district. So I would like to, you know, I do think it's appropriate that the personnel and budget subcommittee talk about and lay out what the expectations for the ultimate document would look like. But I I don't support putting all the work of this on three people. Um, I don't think that is how we bring our collective values and vision to life. Um, And then a couple of other things that I will say is um, last year we asked a question on um, uh, of all the department heads about objectives um, that are not in the current budget that. Um, would improve student outcomes and that list was a really eye-opening and meaningful list and I my expectation is that that work will continue this year Um, but also um, one of the things that happened last year before your arrival Mr. Murphy is it was very difficult um, to look at the structure of what was being presented to us and know where the new stuff was so some new stuff was listed in this list of like extra things that are not in the budget and then other new things were in the budget and it was very difficult to figure out where they landed so if we're going to take the approach of sort of looking at what level fund means in in one cut of the information that's provided to us then i want that to truly reflect like base operations and not new headcount new priorities new objectives. So, and the, the example that comes to mind is like the middle school health teacher. So she was, she, he um, was listed in, in the budget as like a thing we were definitely going to do. And then we didn't do it at all that, that I'm aware of. Um, But it also wasn't on the list of sort of extra priorities and it was just sort of assumed that it would happen and it not. So there, I, I think, where we talk about adds to the the overall picture, I just want it to be really clear what those choices are, so that the committee can actually make those choices, um, versus be confused by what's in, what's not in. Um, what are we saying? What are we saying is part of what we're going to do next year? What are we hoping, et cetera, et cetera? It just needs to be really clear. Um, the other thing that I would say about the work um, that we did last year. Um, is that, you know, the pandemic certainly um, got in the way of the, the timeline, but I, I would like a clear understanding of when the number comes from the mayor's office so that we can be clear about at what point in the discussion are we no longer talking about theoretical numbers and what at what point in the discussion are we talking about the real number that we're being asked to deal with. Um, that was not made clear to us until very late in the game, I'm not saying that the finance office didn't know that number, but it was not made clear to this committee. So again, we are the ones that are asked questions that are expected to sort of shepherd this district in a direction. And we can't do that without all the information available to us. If there's going to be a cut, we need to own the cut. We need to describe why the cut. And I don't think that's work that this can do without input from the city. So um, I'm very concerned about the, 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 information that we are hearing already from all sources including from our city about what this budget is going to look like Um, and I feel like we have to find a way to discuss what we really need to recover next year and how we how we go about making sure that our kids don't become an entire generation of students that get left behind not just because of COVID but because we didn't do the right things to prioritize the funding that was necessary to help mitigate against all the impacts of these last few years and really into, you know, into next year and into the year after. So we're talking about an entire generation of kids and it's really important work. So I am hopeful that um, our spending will align with what we say our values are. um, And our city, you know, certainly clearly values the contributions of Medford public schools and I hope that we can um, present a budget that is reflective of those priorities, but I think we need to be crystal clear about when the number comes, we need to be really transparent about what it means, and it, it, we need to be clear with the community about who has the power to change what. Um, and we, this committee, we can only decide how to spend the money and how to make the cuts. Or how to spend the extra money; those are the those are sort of the latitudes of this committee. Um, and having said that, we it's our responsibility to hold the people around us that have the other responsibilities that lead up to this accountable for a transparent message on the budget, um, and so that our constituents are just super clear about where we are at, and and so that they can all, you know, make decisions about how that impacts. You know their participation in Medford Public Schools because I think there are scenarios that could land people in that position where they say I, I need to evaluate my participation here if this is how we're going to spend. So um, I know we're hearing doom and gloom from lots of places. I also know that the state's revenue uh, blew the doors off its project- projections for January so perhaps there's some better news coming um, but either way I want us to proceed um, with an open dialogue and transparency around what the funding is, what decisions will be made, and how that that helps
2: us align our priorities or doesn't. Thank you, Member Graham. If I if I may, I as soon as we heard about Chapter seventy um, from the governor's budget a week or two ago, and as soon as we heard about the cut of almost a million dollars in the charter school reimbursement. I made sure it's when I talked to my finance, our finance team that we let the city council and the school committee know right away. So that's why you did get the email on the, the tough the tough news and along the lines of the federal stimulus for the good news of the Medford public schools, thankfully getting a little bit over $2 million. Um, but with that, we, brings us down to about 1.2 in addition um, when you... Subtract and and add Chapter seventy charter school tuition, and then federal stimulus four. So what happened last year? Usually in a in a normal budget cycle, we would know the number to give the school sometime in March, and then the budget will be would be created, and budget hearings would start right away. Last year, we were so up in the air on every state number, UGA Chapter seventy charter school reimbursement. We were. Having meetings with the lieutenant governor and the governor, and um, the schools was ha- having meetings with desi and our finance team was ha- having meetings with finance professionals, and they were telling us the gloom potential 10 20% cut and on a number of directions. So it was r- really hard, and we knew right up until the end we didn't know about chapter 70 being held harmless until I think one of the last weeks. So, it, in a because it was the pandemic and because we're in a recession, um, we didn't have that number to to really give the schools. We knew we had to level fund, but that was after the prior finance director already had increased the budget without permission from the city side by almost 5%. So we level funded the school side and we cut almost a million dollars from the city budget. Thankfully, chapter 70 was held harmless and we were able to add to the school side. This year I am trying to be as transparent as possible. That's why you got the email from us last week and you'll get um, an update from the city's finance director who's gonna come to hopefully our February 22nd um, school committee meeting to present on revenues and losses thereof in hopes that we can do the best to give the school side a number um, sometime after that. But everything is ever changing, we're praying for Biden, President Biden's next stimulus package, which could, which could help the city and, of course, the school side because we city does not want to take from the schools. That's why we level-funded the schools and cut the city side last year. Last year's budget was 52% of that budget plus went to the school side. We are doing everything we can um, in the toughest of times, and we will continue to be transparent, and we will continue to do whatever we can to get more money for our schools. And that includes me advocating on the state and federal level. And I will continue to do so as I know you all will. So I just want to make, wanted to make that clear because I, um, I appreciate the city side budget and um, that most people thought that was great. And I agree that school side, um, we, have work, we have some work to do, but we're gonna get there. And um, just want to clear up a few things. If anybody else has any questions. M-
0: member I just had a question yes member i just had one uh, follow-up question so um you know i i did i heard from ms graham and um you know i've been thinking about it and you know i do have some concerns myself about only having a pre-budget meetings and subcommittee um you know i think that you know the uh, my fellow committee members who are not in the subcommittee won't be updated on the pre-budget materials so I I would just like to know a little bit more information about how that's going to work so that the other committee members who are not in the subcommittee are going to be voicing their you know questions and concerns with those pre-budget reports because what i can i can kind of i'm just you know seeing in my head is that you know we're going to have the subcommittee meetings We're going to be talking about all those pre-budget reports, and then we're going to be approving those to go to the regular meeting, and then that's when the committee member, the other committee members, are going to get those reports to then ask questions. Um, So I just, you know, I think that's why in the past we've always done it as a committee of the whole, so that everybody's included in the meeting at the same time while that administrator in principal is there doing that presentation. I don't know if yeah, there's been any discussion about that, well, Mr. Murphy.
1: Sure. Thank you, Ms. Chris. I, I mean, I, I may have, um, I, I probably sh- maybe should have articulated a little more fully what I meant by the, the, per- the personnel and budget subcommittee. All committee members will receive the same information regardless of what subcommittee assignments, what, what the subcommittee assignments are. And I, I, in my experience, the members, even if they're not officially members of the personnel and budget subcommittee would participate and I, I, to, that is at the discretion of the chair but and then Ms. so miss stone can speak to that but certainly the norm would be for this process to involve both members of the subcommittee and non-members of the subcommittee but I would also say that given the implications of what you're actually approving and that you're all going to get the same information and there's going to be no picking and choosing between subcommittees as to who actually sees what materials. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, I would, it it, it wouldn't have been my assumption that the personnel budget subcommittee would be uh, taking votes that would then preclude the school committee from either seeing or considering anything. The subcommittee would just be used as the forum to discuss and vet what it is that the administration is presenting that, in my experience is the point of having the budget subcommittee to you have that as a forum during the, the budget process to sift through that information but the the actual sort of raw information if you will would be available both would both be provided by the administration to the school committee as a whole and would also uh you know i assume there would be participation but if that was presumptuous on my part i apologize i just that's the, that's the role I've ever, I've only seen a budget subcommittee play, but.
2: Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Member, Ms. Stone.
4: Yes. Um, I am the chair of the personnel and budget committee. So I think my understanding was that the personnel and budget committee would come up with the dates. And I do think because in recent past practice, it has been committee of the holes that probably this year they should be committee of the holes. We would just set the date and the plan on the personnel and budget committee. And then moving forward, if that's more of how school committees um, generally do it, it's, it's just past practice here that it's been committee of the whole. So I think for this year, for people to understand the process, it would be the personnel and budget committee just to set who we're hearing on what date and then have committee holes for all the sessions. And then next year, talk about having a different budget process. That's more, um, streamlined and more, um, community focused. And, um, I'm happy to hear how other districts do it. I think just in my experience for the last five years or four years, this is how we've done it. So I hope that's a compromise that we can work with this year. Thank you. Thank you. Member stone. Sounds good. Thank you, Mr. Murphy, for the presentation.
2: Member Vandekloot?
5: I I just wanted to let my committee members know that um, both uh, the mayor and I, the superintendent, Mr. Murphy, uh, Mr. Cushing, uh, were, I think I've got everybody, were in attendance at the request of Pat Jalen. I was invited as vice chair to represent the committee. um, And Pat, had set up, uh, excuse me, Senator Jalen had set up a a Zoom call with um, uh, Desi, uh, their finance people to talk about the impact of the charter school um, tuitions on our budget, which is extreme. The mayor alluded to the approximately $1 million. In truth, it becomes even more than that, closer to a million and a quarter when something else is factored in. Um, It's very clear that people we were talking about were budget people. It's their job to simply implement the formula and not to do anything about it. Uh, um, our entire delegation was there. Senator Jayland, um, representatives Donato, Garbley, and Barber. Uh, uh, Paul Donato spoke to the fact that last year uh, we also sort of fell into this little pit where um, uh, our funding was lower and they had put together some legislation um, when we spoke and I was quite adamant about um, the impact of how starting with a, a, a million and a quarter uh, blow uh, in our funding would impact us. Um, there was some discussion about what the legislators have to do to try and help with this issue. Um, right now though, the reality of it is, is the way the funding formula works Really, We really get sucker punched and um, our, our delegation uh, is totally aware and totally uh, uh, desirous of being helpful. Uh, it may be advantageous for us to invite them to a committee meeting at some point um, with a follow-up um, and uh, talk about what, what other options, what can we do? Because right now, I mean, you know, it's a real issue.
2: Thank you, Member Van de Kloot. Um number 7, we have report on scheduled listening sessions for families on the topic of school reopening fall 2021. Dr. Peter Cushing, Assistant Superintendent of Secondary and Ms. Suzanne Galusi, Assistant Superintendent of Elementary.
6: Good evening, Madam Mayor. Thank you and members of the school committee. Appreciate this opportunity to speak to you. Um, so we want to give the committee a brief update on our initial plans um, to welcome um, family feedback, um, excuse me one second here uh, as we uh, enter our planning for the upcoming year. So what we want to do is we want to create a space uh, to listen to feedback from our remote students, our hybrid students, our caregivers, as well as our faculty and staff. Um, We want to provide them this opportunity to share their experiences from the broad spectrum of what people have experienced this year. Um, Feedback will help us to guide contingency plannings. I want to make sure that everyone is clear on that word. It's contingency plans um, as we head into next year. Uh, There was a lot of uncertainty um, as the, the state headed into the summer and the initial Desi plan was provided to districts on June 25th. And so we wanna make sure that we're well ahead in any contingency planning for the upcoming year. Um, each listening session, will have two breakout rooms, one focused for hybrid learning and one focused for remote learning. Um, we'll have translators available in the following languages, Portuguese, Spanish, Haitian Creole, Arabic, uh, we'll also have closed captions available for anyone on the call. We've been providing closed captioning for the last several meetings. So all you have to do is click the CC live transcript at the bottom of your screen um, if it doesn't automatically pop up for you. Uh, finally, uh, if you're unable to attend the listening sessions, we're going to be soliciting feedback <clears throat> at our email address info at medford.k12.ma.us. We uh, wanted to really provide people an opportunity to provide their open-ended feedback um, and to really be able to give that. I'd like to turn it over to the assistant superintendent for elementary education, Suzanne Galusi, as we move to the next slide.
7: Thank you. So as Dr. Cushing was saying, um, we're going to have two breakout rooms one, so we can get the feedback for the experience of the hybrid learning model and the other for the remote learning model. But what we're also doing is creating spaces at each level to listen for, um, to the feedback and to people's personal experiences. So at the elementary level, um, we have the listening sessions from March 4th at each level, we're going to begin with students. So we're going to provide an opportunity for students to join and provide their feedback and their experiences, um, as well as maybe their hopes and wishes for next year, um, followed by a session for faculty and staff, and then parents and caregivers. So as you can see, we're doing this at all three levels so that we can really target uh, the listening um, and the feedback to people's unique experiences based on their level and their learning model. Um, If you you have any questions for us, we are um, happy to answer them, but we are, this is really just like the the beginning phase here of our planning work for next year. So the first thing we wanna do is really just listen, um, listen to people's feedback and input and use that to help guide our planning. Thank you.
2: I have a question. Yes, member Van Kloop. Yes,
5: is there a role for the school committee in being able to attend any of the sessions or what's, how is that um, envisioned?
6: Uh, you're welcome to attend any and all of the sessions uh, regardless of um, time. Uh, if you want to sit down on the students, the faculty and staff, or the parents, um, I see it as an open invitation.
8: Mayor, I also have a question. Maybe we could stop sharing the um, power, the slide so we can see hands.
2: Member McLaughlin.
8: Thank you. Thank you for the presentation Dr. Cushing and Ms. Glucy. Uh I am wondering uh, if there's uh, gonna be consideration specific to the cohort A model um, because it's more than, sort of a hybrid or remote um, situation. It's our most vulnerable students, as you know, and four days in person, one day remote. So is there gonna be any listening sessions specific to those populations?
7: I think that that's absolutely something that we can um, plan for, I think. For the beginning stages here, for the first three sessions that we have in March, um, I think having the opportunity for people to join, um, I understand what you're saying. So I do know that we have cohort A students in both learning models. So I would suggest for the beginning stages here that they probably should attend the breakout session in which the model they're currently in. So if they're in person, then I would it would be the hybrid model. We do have cohort A students that are fully remote as well. Um, I think providing the platform for people to be able to just provide their input and experiences on what this year um, was like for them is the crucial part that we really want to be able to hear uh, and to make note of. And if somebody wants any additional time, we have directed them to the email address but I am more than willing to have personal f- phone calls with people as well um, and we'll look and see where we land with the listening sessions if we feel we need to add more.
8: Yeah I think that um, I'd like to see more specifically uh, because I think the most vulnerable students have, have different sort of uh, subset and so instead of them having to attend necessarily two meetings Um, going to both, uh, whether there's an individual meeting specific to that. So just a thought food for thought, um, again, with the time constraints that our families have, as you can imagine, um, having to go to, um, one general session and then one individualized session might be a little bit tricky, but I will defer to administration, but would love to be kept into the loop as to what you all, uh, decide that will be most meaningful for, um, most vulnerable cohort a population thank you
2: thank you member mclaughlin Um, dr edward vinson
9: yeah i just wanted to say that um in coming up with the nine sessions um that's an additional um, nine hours uh of of meetings on top of the meetings that we have and um when i think about the most vulnerable um and knowing that we have um a significant amount of students where English is not their first language, um, where we did try to at least get the translation available for some of our English learner populations. I do feel that um, even within the breakout groups, if it's something we can go back to the um, drawing board, but I do feel providing an opportunity to listen, this is really an opportunity to listen. So even as, um, a cohort, a uh, member, um, if there's a specific thing that you want to be able to share, that opportunity is gonna be made available. Um, so we can try to go back, but I'm just saying like to um, the, the, the intent is really to be able to listen to the feedback. We know that some people um, might not be able To attend the sessions that are available, but they will be able to um, email or send in questions or their own personal reflections. So um, I just want to say that this is not uh, the intent or the spirit was not to exclude anyone, but to give everyone um, uh, an opportunity. And so one of the areas that we've gotten a lot of um, feedback is. a significant amount of the communication that comes out from from us, from myself personally, um, and talking about what's happening at the school is specifically geared toward hybrid students. And so a lot of families um, that are fully remote feel like, are they really still considered part of the school? And by all means, the answer is yes, 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 yes. And so by, um, trying to separate out into two groups to have remote only families give feedback and hybrid families um, providing feedback to be able to take that information from the two groups and really listen to the feedback that's being said so that it will be able to help better inform um, us as we move forward. So I I just wanted to to say that by no means was there, you know any intention of trying to exclude cohort a we really wanted to include and be able to just listen um to students to staff faculty um and care parents and caregivers
8: i appreciate that very much superintendent and i know that your um inclination is to be inclusive and kind and i do appreciate that i i do also think that is why um, I'm raising the matter because as we're thinking about different subgroups um, and, and, you know, cohorting uh, but, you know, according to hybrid and remote and then further by middle school, elementary school and high school, um, I think as a parent of a child with a significant disability oftentimes being in those meetings. There's a lot of time that is spent um, talking about things that do not relate to my child. Um, And I think that there's a lot of times that parents have to sit in that. And also, you know, in instances where even uh, when you said everyone is included, you know, also to ensure that our auto district families, our English learners and our students, families with disabilities do feel included, that there is some sort of forethought about how that's being addressed. I think is really important. Um, that's conscious um, in terms of the of the thought because I do know that there are families who have children with significant needs who would not go to say, a two-hour, if you will, meeting um, of a listening session for elementary school if they're um, in a very different place. And so maybe there's just the opportunity to offer um, something that is smaller and more appropriate for that cohort. And so I, again, in the interest of inclusion, that is why I'm bringing that up. So um, I appreciate the fact that you are always willing to listen. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Member McLaughlin. And maybe we could, I know you said you'd be doing breakout rooms, so maybe during these times and dates, we can do a breakout room just for cohort A, um, but still we parents and caregivers, as well as faculty, staff, and students. We can kind of compromise that way. I think that's, have Joan and her team run the breakout room for cohort A. Yeah, I, will, I will
9: definitely um, if we can get everyone you know, in this, Reality, uh, we'll work with the team to see how we can do it to, to have it still uh, keep the same structure and um, create an
10: additional breakout room. Um, thank you. M-
2: Member Graham?
3: Um, I just wanted to say thank you for this. I think it will mean a lot to all the families in the district who. Um, have struggled through this and last year in one way or another um, to have uh, an audience and an option. And I know it's a tremendous amount of work to put these things together. So I wanted to offer my assistance. Um, I'm happy to facilitate, take notes, or do anything else that you all um, need as an extra pair of hands at any or all of the sessions. Um, I'll make myself available and I will tell my clients they have to wait another day so that I can go listen to the students too. So just let me know what you need. I'm happy to help.
5: Thank you, Member Graham.
2: Thank you. Um, We have old business number one, vote to approve Superintendent Maurice Edward Vincent's goals for 2020, 2021. Is there a motion on the floor? Motion to approve. Mem- motion approved by member Kratz, member Graham, and then member Vindicloot.
3: Yeah, I just had a quick question. Um, I In our last meeting, we talked about, um, particularly uh, around the reopening plan, that there would be something added for to address the plan for next year. And I, I just didn't see it, but I may have missed it. Um, so <laughs> I didn't know if that had been added or um, if there was, it wasn't, sorry. <laughs>
2: Yes, that was my request actually. It said yes, Dr. Edward it Vincent. Is,
9: it is it is added. We had it, we have it recorded in the notes. This was just the exact one that I had submitted to you, but that will that that was definitely added. Um that request that was added at the last meeting. So it's just I'm sorry, this is the exact version that you received um when I presented it at the last meeting. But those specific um changes uh, have been or are part of the goals for this year.
2: Great. Thank you. Thank you. Motion for approval by member Kratz, second, oh, member by member Oh, apologies. no,
5: I just wanted to second it. Uh, I didn't know if anybody had.
2: No, you. that's all you. Member Kratz moved, moved approval, seconded by member Vandekloot, roll call, member McLaughlin. Um,
8: member Graham. Yes. Member Kratz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone, yes. Member Rousseau, yes. Member Van de Kloot, yes. Mayor Longo Kern,
2: yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. Um, Dr. Maurice Edward Vinson's goals have been approved for 2020 2021. Um, number two, we have it on the agenda, and I think we created some confusion, but the Columbus School name change. We did schedule a committee of the whole meeting, dedicated to this discussion, for March tenth, twenty twenty. Sorry, March tenth, twenty twenty one, at five thirty p.m. Um, that this is this vote was taken back in, I do think it, I believe it was June, and now we are just announcing far in advance, at least a month in advance, when the discussion will start, which will be March tenth, twenty twenty one, five thirty p.m. Member Vanderclou.
5: Mayor, I feel like um, that I need to convey uh, to the committee, and, and I'm, I'm sure many committee members know because we've received so many emails to our personal accounts, uh, but there were many submitted to the school committee account as well. Um, we had roughly thirty letters, uh, all of which were similar um, saying to us, please don't don't continue uh, this discussion. don't 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 change the name. Uh, and suggesting that this was the wrong time and the timing would distract us from other work. Um, The letters were similar. So I know that committee members have seen them. Uh, If I were to read them all, it would take several hours uh, of our time right now. Conversely, we also received uh, almost an equal number supporting, uh, the name change with people, uh, the letters were a little bit more different, uh, more, more, um, diverse in their, in their discussions. But again, asking, um, that we do keep to our intent. Um, there one submitted, I want to mention in particular, uh, by a third grade student, um, who also uh, asked us please to, to keep to our intent um so clearly people thought that we might be changing there was also petition submitted um, by medford united uh, i think it is appropriate for me to just read this it says please join medford mass residents in signing this petition requesting the medford mass school committee and it names us uh immediately rescind their vote to change the name of the columbus elementary school uh, in operation since 1929 the name change was approved without community input community input and transparency should be sought before major decisions are made please sign the petition so we may write this wrong and be the vibrant community we are there were 395 medford residents on this but more than um and with 1420 1426 additional names on this um it is our custom to ask for addresses it was just signed with names on the emails I was receiving, you know, I don't think people are uh, necessarily clear all the times that they're supposed to have uh, their address as well. So I started writing back to people, but frankly, there were so many, it kind of got out of hand. All of these will be submitted to be part of the record. Um, I'll work with Susie on that tomorrow so that we're sure that they're they're read into the record uh, or they're written into the record. Um, uh, I think at this point, what i hear your intent is that we're going to go ahead meeting we have but i do want you to uh i do wanted i wanted to present both the uh pro and the con and the very uh deep feelings that people have both ways uh very deep feeling um and um if i can interject a personal note the question is in this very difficult discussion for in our community because Mm. it is and has been divisive is how can we come together in a positive way and um, that is my deepest hope uh, is that we will find a way uh, to find some common language and common desire uh, around this issue uh, so that in fact it doesn't divide us but it brings us together uh, in celebration of a rich Italian culture um, which maybe isn't defined by the name Columbus.
0: Thank you,
2: Member Van de Kloot. Member McLaughlin and Member Kretz.
8: Thank you, Mayor. I know that um, there's a committee of the whole meeting Wednesday for further discussion on this. But I also know that there, as you can see, several folks on the call, and we have not done public participation. So I just wanted to be clear. Are we having public participation tonight? Or are you suggesting that we wait until Wednesday? I'm unclear.
2: This is I'll leave it to the committee. But this meeting was, was it says discuss but when the superintendent and I and this um, Susie wise discussed this it was to put the meeting date on this agenda to give people ample notice because I says um, we have people on both sides of this issue but March 10th 2021 at 530 is going to be the official meeting focused just on renaming um, the Columbus school because I think that's what the committee's intentions were when they asked for this to be on the agenda, it was to schedule a date for the committee of the whole. Member Kretz?
0: Yes, um, I just wanna make sure because I know um, when this was on the agenda in last June, um, there wasn't a lot of um, notice and, and I know that you're putting on the agenda to notify the public that there is a committee of the whole on March 10th. Um, and I just wanted to know if, somebody would be able to invite a representative from, um, the NAACP, the Italian American community, um, some South Medford residents, the diversity director of the city of Medford, um, and, you know, of course, you know, the elementary school parents, caregivers, teachers, students, leaders, um, PTO, you know, just so that, you know, that was one of the major concerns was when we had the June meeting, um, people didn't know about it and I know it's on our agenda tonight um, but I you know I would like to know if it's going to be you know shared you know on social media to give people the opportunity to join in for in be included with the discussions that are going to be taking place um, yes. around the the, um, the the renaming of the school because um, we did receive a lot of emails and, and I was confused myself because you know we were getting messages and a lot of the community thought we were taking another vote this evening. And, you know, and, you know, we're, we were not doing that. And I don't, I don't think, and I'm, I'm not sure, but we're not going to be doing that at the committee of the whole meeting. So, you know, I guess the committee of the whole meeting I think is going to be to, schedule like the the planning committee almost like what we did with the other committees like forming a task force that's going to be um a very diverse group of community members you know from all different areas of medford that are going to be part in part of this committee with an application process and how many members will be on the committee is that what is being discussed in the march 10th committee the whole meeting Thank you, Member Kratz. That that is the plan. Member, I'm
2: um, Dr. Edward Vincent.
9: As I was gonna say at the March 10th meeting at 530, um, to what Member Kratz was just sharing, that it'll be an opportunity for community as 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 it um is going to be a committee of the whole, community members will be able to speak and we will also be able to talk about what we will be able to do. Um moving forward but um based on all of the um emails that have come in thus far um and to your request member that's about um invite making sure that we communicate with specific stakeholder groups within the community we can definitely do that and also um with the emails that we have in hand right now make sure that that communication goes out Um, we do have one uh, meeting prior, which is why um, the March 10th meeting will need to start at 530 p.m., but we will be able to get it posted um, early and um, use all media platforms to communicate with the entire community
2: at large. Thank you, Dr. Edward-Vincent.
0: Thank you, Dr. Edward. Thank you. Member Van did
2: you have your hand up? Oh.
5: Um, yes, I guess one of the things which I'm wondering is if there's a way, um, you know, w- we need some help, I think, bringing our community together on this, um, and, um, you know, I think it's deeply painful to see such a large rift, and, and people on both sides, um, you know, obviously very committed to, but I don't see yet, you know. Uh, I don't. I don't see a bridge forward. And um, um, if anybody, you know, I, I'm wondering whether there's any sort of um, any steps we can take. Um, and if any community members have some thoughts in this of of how we can help uh, bridge this, um, I know that many people have suggested that. Um, that we understand um, the Italian community's concern about losing, uh, you know, a landmark that is important to them. And so, you know, many of us, you know, there's so many different names that could possibly considered if we were to not only, you know, to to think about it in a broader sense as an opportunity, um, you know, uh, I personally feel it's extremely important. Um, I know when I first came to Medford, I found myself delightfully s- surrounded in a neighborhood where, um, you know, by a wonderful, warm Italian family uh, who took us in, who who was so valuable to my own adjustment to Medford uh, and where I learned about gravy rather than sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, again, whether there is a... Uh, People are very strongly feeling um, they're negative about taking away Columbus, but I just want to—is there any potential of going forward and thinking about—is—is is there any place where we move towards honoring um, our Italian heritage in this community um, with diff- with a different uh, name? So I just want to throw that out and say, you know, I'm hoping that somebody might start thinking about about. Uh, in a positive way.
2: Thank you, Member van uh, By
5: the way, and the only other thing I did want to mention is we had originally uh, said it was important for our students at the Columbus to be involved um, and so I want to make sure we don't
2: forget that piece. Thank you, Member Van de I You pointed that out twice. Sorry. Just, oh, no, no, I think it was it had to be said and I know um, Member Kretz also pointed that out, making sure that the committee and we have to be aware of that, making sure that that we do appoint is very diverse and um, we take into account the rich Italian culture that like and hopefully we can carry that on um, moving forward. And I know that is a bone of contention for for some and some don't want the name changed at all. So we have to do our best to try to bring people together and move forward um, to make as many people comfortable with this as possible. Member uh, Dr. Edward Vincent.
9: I just wanted to say in response to uh, member Vanderkloot's comments that um, I know that there are a lot of mixed opinions about um, the name for the Columbus School, but um, if I was being asked, um, if I was giving my personal opinion, I feel that um, we don't have another school right now that actually represents the Italian heritage. And um, in Medford, we do have a large Italian community as well. And one of the things I would hope would be if in fact um, the final decision is the the name is going to be changed from Columbus, that as a community, we would think about other um, Italian-Americans who have, or not necessarily Italian-Americans or just um, Italians uh, that could still be living in Italy, um, that we would still be able to recognize and honor the culture. Um, I've said, you know, I love the music of Andrea Bocelli and, um, he is blind, a beautiful singer, um, has a wonderful voice that there are a lot of, um, Italians and Italian Americans that have contributed to, um, you know, great things that have happened. And so I I would hope that as we're thinking about, um, other other name options that that would be something that is not completely taken off of the table. So um, I just wanted to share that, that um, I think that should be part of the conversation. Um, And hopefully we can have a very fruitful conversation on March 10th at 5.30 and be able to um, put in the structures necessary for um, groups that can work on it collaboratively. Um, I, as my um, little homework assignment that I've given to students voluntary on the theme of unity, I do believe that we are one district, it's one Medford, and um, we do not want to divide the community, we want to unify the community. And so this is an opportunity for us to come together as a community and um, think and share ideas and have a productive conversation. So um, I just wanted to share my thoughts. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Dr. Edward Vincent. I saw Mr. Colin Bailey's on the call too, shaking his head when you spoke. So thank you for being here, Colin, as our student rep.
6: Of course, thank you for having me here. Okay.
2: And next we have, so we'll make sure we publicize that meeting. Um, broadly. Number three, we have report on COVID-19 related funding sources, summary of investments made by the Medford Public Schools through funding sources realized as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, including state grants and federal allocations. Mr. David Murphy, Assistant Superintendent for Finance and Operations and Michelle Kingdom, Comptroller. Mr. and Ms. Kingdom.
1: Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Ms. Kingdom is uh, joining me and is on the call. Tonight um, so we'll take uh, any questions that you might have. Uh, I am going to share another deck. Um, this is another one that, uh, based on time, you haven't seen yet, but it's only two slides. So I'm confident everyone will be able to, go to follow along. There's a tremendous amount of backup data for this. And so uh, my recommendation w- or my request, I guess, would be that if people have specific questions about funding sources that have been realized as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, you just um, let us know and we're happy to to, uh, dig through as necessary to identify for you um, how those funds have been expended, what's been prioritized, and uh, in many cases, what's been procured. Um, You'll see that uh, as is the case with many districts around the uh, Commonwealth and really, I guess across the nation, Um, while this has been a time of tremendous budgetary stress, um, it's also been a time in which uh, the district has been responsible for um, making the most efficient and effective use of the funding that has flowed in from the uh, primarily from the federal government and and also from from the state government um, to help uh, both bridge gaps that have been exacerbated as a result of the pandemic and also to address specific um, funding needs uh, that Are entirely attributable to the pandemic. And so, um, what's complicated about this, and which is, and and frankly, the reason that this is a two slide uh, presentation with, um, as I said, reams of of background data, is that when we've had expenses, what is uh, essentially eligible to be charged to certain funding sources has fluctuated over the course of the pandemic. And so, where that's most evident uh, you can see is in, in the relatively minuscule amount of uh, pandemic related funding that has gone toward um, personnel. We've had a number of, of personnel expenses and personnel challenges that are attributed attributable rather t- uh, to the pandemic. Uh, but there haven't been a, a, a there has not been consistent funding sources that are designed specifically to uh, help support our, our personnel needs. there are some, and we've tried to take advantage of that when we can by uh, things like hiring um, additional uh, school monitors or uh, non-instructional uh, aids that can help serve um, as the supervisory coverage in a classroom when uh, a teacher is engaged in uh, reverse remote instruction. Um, but that's a relatively small fraction, um, obviously. That being said, um, we have been able to address a number of the um, air quality and other uh, HVAC concerns uh, connected to the pandemic and the need for us to meet the heightened air quality standards that um, have been subject to many conversations before this body, uh, as well as a lot of the instructional technology needs. And that's um, really an issue uh, or uh, an element of our expenditures that um, we we know that there there's been a tremendous amount of instructional technology needs that are directly related to how instruction is taking place and the conditions under which we're operating. And then um, there have been other places in which we've been able to essentially capitalize on um, the funding sources that are available to hopefully position ourselves uh, to be better uh, situated from an instructional technology perspective when the pandemic is over. And so, um, as you can see, 56% of the funding that um, has come from the uh, four sources identified here um, have been, in, and some of them have been specifically earmarked for instructional technology. So absent uh, that funding, we, we wouldn't have been able to do that. And uh, had we not had that priority, we wouldn't have been able to use that funding. So um, that's obviously another reason why that percentage is as as high as it is. But um, these are essentially, and I think you've seen these numbers presented to you in different forms before, um, certainly, and I know in September of 2000. Uh, 20, both myself and Ms. Laden spoke to, to some, in some level of detail about the grant sources that uh, had come through originally uh, in FY20 and then carrying over into FY21. Um, and you can see that, again, the, these numbers are fluid to the extent that there have been times where we've procured something, eligibility has changed, or we've identified other needs, and one funding source may have a broader eligibility scope, and so then things have um, essentially, the, there's been transfers within the accounts, but um, this is a, essentially a picture of uh, how we've been able to utilize the external funds that have come in uh, to help support us and the needs uh, that have been realized as a result of the pandemic. Um, in the second slide here, um, this is in, and go back to our conversation from earlier, that um, it's not too often that we're able to come for you with what would amount to good news. And it is good news set against the backdrop um, that the the mayor referred to earlier regarding our budgetary challenges going into FY22. Um, But we are anticipating approximately a $2.3 million injection as a result of the um, additional federal stimulus that passed at the end of calendar year 2020. And then in addition to that, DESE notified us uh, within the last week or 10 days maybe that there's essentially a, a second round of, of, coronavirus virus relief funding that uh, has been realized, which will result in a $216,000 injection of funding um, with restrictions, including the need uh, for expenditure by June 30th, 2021. So um, we have some leftover instructional technology priorities, specifically um, expanding our uh, Zoom capacity um, that will put a minor um, Hit into that um, second uh, funding source the two hundred sixteen thousand dollars, and then I think it was evident in the. If we go back to if we just go back to the first slide for a second, you can see that there's about of the eighty five thousand dollars that's remaining from the original funding sources. The majority of that are um, expenditures that, uh, for which the funding was encumbered, but then a determination was made between the city and the state of some of the expenses being ineligible due to the. Um, essentially the duration of time in which the instruction, instructional technology would be utilized. So, um, again, this is a high-level summary because, um, as you can tell, 4.4 or $4.3 million um, and that much uh, work being done from uh, infrastructure and facilities perspective and instructional technology being procured, um, there's obviously a lot of background there. But uh, if there are specific questions or if you'd like us to try to uh, break this apart in any way, myself in the scheme would be happy to do that.
2: Thank you, Mr. Murphy. That was very thorough. Could, okay. But any, no questions we can move on.
1: We have resolutions. I just, may just, we'll provide a more detailed memo that providing some of the highlights of the instructional technology. I do think the committee should be aware of Mm -hmm. how many headphones, how many Chromebooks, how many MacBooks, how many amplifiers, how many projectors, all of that stuff is related to the different way in which instruction is being delivered. And we'll provide a more itemized list so um, people can can sit through that. If they have any questions, happy to answer them. Great. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Member Graham? Um
3: the uh, thank you for that. The presentation was really helpful in sort of laying out all the various sources, and I know that's been a question's been asked a couple of times. Um, I had a question at one point in the last couple of months. I think it was. It's a little. It's a little bit hazy when I saw this fly by, but there was some. There was a ruling about the money. I think it was from CARES Act in terms of it, the requirement of districts to give a certain amount of funding to parochial schools, private and parochial schools yeah. that had been reversed. Can you describe what happened there for us and how that impacted?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm f- yeah. I'm familiar with happened? that. Right. I think it was a court decision that put the brakes yeah. on that funding. Um, and I, at the moment, the details and the sort of what I suspect is a constitutional basis um, for that I don't have at my fingertips, so I'd have, to, I'd have to get back to you on that. I can tell you that with regards to the technology grants, the first um, version of those that came through, and um, just, I should might have one thing that would answer that. Well, I can tell you that there's about $60,000 um, that was expended um, toward uh, parochial schools that the that the district was responsible for making sure it was ultimately expended on behalf of the students attending those schools, um, and that in the second round of funding, um, that is not being included. I frankly don't know whether that's attributable to that court case, which my understanding is is being appealed. So I'd be a little surprised if that policy change is specifically as a result of that decision. Um, but I can tell you that it won't have the same financial impact coming out of the two point, as of now won't have the same financial coming out of the 2.3 million that it did in the original allocation, which, as I say, was about 60, approximately $60,000 that was expended on behalf of students. Uh, Medford's school-aged children in Medford who are not enrolled in the Medford public schools.
3: And um, one more question. Um, you, do you Do you have a timeline for when you expect to be talking about the grant spending of this upcoming funding and what the plans are for that? In uh, terms and of how does prior- that relate to the budget process in general?
1: Yeah, uh, you you're mean in terms of prioritization for the uh, what we're calling the 2.3 million? Yep. Um, what I can tell you is that for fiscal year uh, 21, the priority is making sure that um, some of the uh, COVID mitigation uh, strategies that are employed are fully sustainable. So there are other funding sources um, for that. And we're, and we've got some valuable, um, we've got the, the variety in which we're making sure that everything we're doing is sustainable. Um, but the, that is a backstop to um, make sure that everything we're doing in schools, everything from a PPE perspective to um, finalizing any, uh, most of our HVACs that work, the, sort of what's been identified is, is completed, but, um, other than those those things and a few other COVID mitigation uh, tactics, um, it is our hope that that is that funding is fully intact or as much to, as close to full as possible at the start of the new fiscal year. And part of that is because, um, as was mentioned, in the previous I think it was in the previous presentation or maybe it was in this one, um, as of now that funding is designed to go through all of FY '22 into FY23 and potentially beyond. Uh, it's, if everything we're hearing from the federal government you know, is realized, then there will be, there should be additional support, but that's obviously not something we can count on. And so for reason we're trying to be as conservative as possible to make sure that whatever additional expenses are identified as a result of the, what was hopefully a waning pandemic by that point, um that there's funding to support that in F22.
3: Fingers crossed on the waning for sure. <laughs> um and so the reason I one of the reasons I ask is because we we delayed the spend of a considerable amount of money before you um joined us in this happy party in Medford. Um, and the delay of the spend and the allocation and the approvals are part of the, at least part of the reason why we did not get all the equipment in that we expected. Um, so that it could be used in time for the start of the school year. I'm not hundred percent clear myself, whether we've even yet received all of that technology. Um, and I just want to make sure that we're planful so yeah. that that doesn't happen again.
1: Yeah. I would say that, um, the, I, very, very good question and something that I think we have to look at on an ongoing basis because I don't think we'll ever get to a point and say that's the nature of investments in instructional technology that both because of the lifespan of some infrastructure and because of the need to constantly be reassessing to determine um, what uh, what the next priority should be. It's definitely an ongoing challenge. Um, I would say that, you know, you saw that we spent 56% and, and I think it's approximately $2.7 million. It's some pretty significant investments, um, including investments that were made this fall and going into early winter. And so there's a lot of technology that we are, we are I would say, we're in a pretty good place in terms of from an instruction, instructional technology perspective. That's not to say it's not a priority or not something we'll have to be looking at. Um, but I think it's, it's fair to say that the district's in a much different place than it would would have been in a year ago. And just as an example of that, um, from a, you know, we're well positioned in terms of our Chromebook allocation now that we have both what we need and essentially the next round as the next sort of um, uh, group of Chromebooks that Chromebooks, like every district is, it's made up of Chromebooks that were bought in different years and different um, life expectancies. And so, we've been able to invest in a way that um, certainly through next year and, and I think a, a few beyond um, we're going to be in a position to make sure everyone has a, a Chromebook that works well, works well with our network um, and has a lifespan that people can rely on. That's just an example, but I, I think we have to look at it on an ongoing basis.
2: Thank you. Thank, thank you. Um, number nine, communications. Mayor. Mayor. Member Vandekloot. Excuse me, if I could, if I could
5: interrupt for a second. Um, I just, I was just made aware of a mistake that which I made and it does, uh, um, it's important enough to interrupt and say that the uh, person who wrote it to me is correct. Um, what I didn't say was that I also, when we were talking about the Columbus School, Emails, I also had received several emails from members of the Italian American committee who were not in support of the Columbus name. And the person who wrote me said that she did not want people to think that um, all of uh, residents of the Italian community were of one mind. So I wanted to make that correction and to be clear um, And when we will give you the email so that everybody can can see that. Um, so, I'm um, so sorry and uh, appreciate the correction.
10: Thank you, uh, member Rousseau. Mayor. Thank you, I just had a quick question on the, the technology stuff. Um, um, forgive me if you said this, I was trying to show a sandwich on my throat, um, but um, I'm still hearing teachers and certainly students and their families comment on our internet capacity. Um, and um, is that in this technology spend? I mean, it seems kind of like, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm a software engineer, I kind of get it. This stuff is never cheap. Um, and, but, but we really, we, we have to fix the internet. It needs to be consistently amazing everywhere in the build every building, end of story. Like this, this is the only standard that should be considered acceptable.
1: Yeah, I I think this point we have to get to, Mr. So is where it's not amazing the Internet works. And I think, um, as you probably know, we have had some uh, bumps in the road with regard to our uh, Wi-Fi network over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, We're taking some steps to try to um, prevent those um, challenges from reoccurring. I think you're right that. While and I mean, this is I appreciate you asking this question because I think it's a distinction I should have made in my comments. I think we've done a really good job in terms of investing in um, the the technology that students need to be operating in the environment in which they're currently learning. But there's a different question with regard to infrastructure that is happening at the facilities level to make sure that technology that people are able to utilize that technology and maximize its potential and so I think that's where our attention will need to turn with regard to these um, funding priorities to make sure that the 2.7 million dollars we've spent on equipment and devices and things of that nature is in fact money well spent Um, and I think that we'll be looking at both some of the external funds that were identified here and I suspect Uh, some of the other uh, funding sources on the capital side we'll have to look at to see how do we make sure that we expand our infrastructure capacity to make sure the networks are are all uh, reliable and secure so I think that is a conversation that we'll be having in the coming weeks and months
10: thank you very much I appreciate it thank you um,
2: Colin Bailey our student rep
6: yeah, um, I would just like to thank you for um, your attention to the Wi-Fi issues that we've been having. Um, I know for myself today and a lot of other students, um, the fifth period and sixth periods were uh, more, there were a bit of a struggle for a lot of us. I wasn't actually able to have a sixth period um, because of the Wi-Fi network being at home. Um, and I just want to thank you for your attention to um, fixing the infrastructure and the Wi-Fi there. And, making it the best possible experience for all of us. It's a difficult time and I understand that you're doing your best and I really appreciate that.
1: And the students want to thank you for that, so. Uh, I know they'll appreciate it more when it works for the whole school day. And um, until that time, I don't think you or any other student should be satisfied.
2: Thank you, Colin. Um, do we have any communications? I believe so. New business resolution number one by member offered by member Rousseau field trips that have been previously approved but needed to be postponed due to the pandemic do not require a new approval from the school committee and may be scheduled for a date in the future under the existing approval for up to two years from the original planned date of the field trip motion for approval
10: by (gasps) okay member Rousseau would you like to speak on this first uh, very briefly, just, you know, I, I um, just wanted to short circuit a flood of new requests and the complexities of a lot of these people who have scheduled these field trips is already hard enough on them. Um, obviously, the, the list of students that may be participating and the process of getting um, the nursing approvals and all that stuff, that still all has to happen. But if we said the kids can take a field trip to New York City. And we've already said it and the mm-hmm. pandemic shouldn't require us to all sit around and talk about it some some monday morning in some other month so that's the point of this
2: efficiency i like it okay member van de kloot well actually
5: on this one I, I i do disagree because i think that we're going to have so many questions around um how different things are going to be handled as we're coming out of the pandemic um however i will vote along with it if we can add a caveat that we would be informed about the field trip. I mean, um, so that we can follow up with questions. For example, um, you know, does that cover, we were going to have kids going to Hawaii. Well, what if, um, or Italy or whatever, you know, does that mean that that wouldn't be brought before us? It was scheduled in this past, you know, so I'm just, I don't know, a, a little bit, um, I, I, I do think that there's things that we would particularly want that committee members would could particularly be interested, especially since we um, we have a lot of responsibility in this area.
2: Okay, Member Mastone, then Member Roussel. Oh,
10: you're good, Member Roussel. Thank you, um, Mayor, if, if I may, um, maybe we should um, vote on this and then send the policy for um, field trips back to subcommittee to have it tweaked because the, the current policy doesn't really say anything about the pandemic or any kind of specialized considerations. So, I mean, just following our policy, if we brought it up and we talked about it, I mean, we we could as members decide we don't feel comfortable because of the pandemic, but that's not actually a consideration. Like all the dots, all the I's have been dotted and all the T's have been crossed saying, no, we don't approve it. Seems kind of um, arbitrary, um, and I also feel like the nursing department, you know, if they say it's good to go, I mean, they, they still do kind of hold the you know the the, the veto power over things, as as my understanding. So um, I don't expect um, any of our field trips to be getting on a cruise <laughs> um, anytime soon, and those um, wouldn't be opened up and available at all. Um, okay.
5: I, I, so, Paul, would you be okay if we just added a sentence that the uh, school committee will be informed um, by email? Yeah, by email prior to
10: Absolutely. Yes.
5: Uh, a trip taking place? Yes, so, of course. D- that sounds great. Just so we have some opportunity to ask questions.
10: Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, but that's, if I, if I may, I, I mean, I don't want them to have to come before us and be on the agenda like they do now. For, for ones we've already approved. So, I mean, if, if we get an, an email or a report or just a notice that this is planned and is gonna happen, um, that's different than asking the person who's running the field trip to come and do another presentation before us. Um, well, And, you know, I, I just right. feel like, you know, I don't feel like any of our, our field trips, you know, the Italy field trip, Nobody's rushing to get to Italy right now. Um, I, I don't know that we could legally even get to Italy. <laughs> um right. I, I by understand. the time it's opened. I mean, the parents and the students would and the and the staff running it would be using their judgment.
5: So, Paul, I would be uh comfortable with upon approval um from the superintendent. I like that. I, I don't, as a per, as a school committee member, I don't personally need to do it, but I want to make sure um, that there is a, uh, a check in place uh, because there have been differing circumstances. So, if I can add, upon approval by the superintendent, I'm fine with it.
2: Okay, so, an email to the oh, school no. committee and approval by the superintendent. That's great. Okay. Motion for approval by member Rousseau, as amended am? by member Van de Kloot, member McLaughlin.
8: Thank you um so i'm i'm a little bit confused so i maybe it's just getting late um i need a little bit of clarification um especially being as a first-time member and not knowing previously approved field trips um is there going to be some list that we're made aware of what the previously approved field trips are so that we know um that they you know if they're moving forward by the superintendent that we have some context here because you know this institutional knowledge bit is tricky. It would be nice to have. Thank you.
2: So I think in an email we'd get from the administration, it would it would state the prior approved field trip to New York from June 2020 has been postponed until November 2021. If you have any questions, let me know. And then the superintendent would um, approve that. So not all of them may go forward, but they'll let us know if it was prior priorly approved, and when the new date
10: is. Okay. Um, member Russo, Rousseau? Rousseau? Yeah, I, I just, uh, because member McLaughlin is a new member, we have no standing approv- approvals. Each and every field trip does come to us for approval for a specific field trip. So I can see why my language might've sounded confusing there. And th- there is no list of standing approved field trips. These are people came before us, said we want this field trip, we said yes, for the one time, for the one date. Um, And this is only aimed at those field trips that people have already done all the work um, so that they don't have to come and do that before us again, just so.
8: And that were postponed because of the pandemic, is that what you're saying? Okay, thank you. Correct, yes. Thank you.
2: Motion for approval as amended, roll call.
8: Um, Member Graham. Yes. Oh, sorry, who was the second on the motion?
2: Member Vanderclute.
8: Thank you. Uh, Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes.
4: Uh,
8: Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Vanderclute. Yes. Mayor Lungo Kern.
2: Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes as amended twice. Um, Number two, the Medford Public Schools Assistant Superintendent of Elementary Education and the Assistant Superintendent of Secondary Education will present an overview of the efforts underway to prepare students and staff for the the administration of the MCAS at the elementary, middle, and high school levels, and will include details such as how fully remote students will be tested, equipment set up, including space and social distancing plans, and proctoring plans. The presentation should also include what practice MCAS testing is taking place throughout the district and how that will be like or different from the actual MCAS testing. Estimates of total learning time lost due to practice and actual MCAS testing by grade level will be provided. Additionally, we should be supplied a current total by level elementary middle high of the number of students that have opted out of taking the MCAS thus far. far and what plans are underway to provide those students with meaningful education during the time other students are taking practice and real MCAS tests. This information will be provided- No, it's,
0: to- it's not going away, Buster.
2: <laughs> this information will be provided to the committee uh, On February 8, 2021, if there is insufficient time to assemble this information, then a special meeting of the Medford School Committee shall be called the week of February 15th, 2021, to provide this information offered by Member Rousseau. Member Rousseau.
10: Thank you, Mayor. Um, I believe actually that there is a document in our packets to answer most of these questions. I, I do have one other one question after uh, reviewing that um, and that was related to um, whether or not, um, I, I, the number of parents who have opted out of MCAS this year was surprisingly low. Um, I feel like I actually know more parents that are opting out than that number. Um, so I guess my question was, is there a district-wide practice that the principals have all been instructed to follow and a documentation strategy so that they are all consistently doing it. Um, I know some parents will send an email if they know the principal well. They might just be like, "Hey, Suzanne," I mean, you know, when you're a principal, you know, don't give my kid the MCAS, and you'd be like, "Okay." Um, and then other principals might want to have a letter from a lawyer. Just kidding, but you know, my point is, is that without any single statement of how it has to be submitted and how it is tracked. I found that the three number was quite surprising.
7: So I do think that um, when Dr. Cushing and I were preparing this report for you, um, if you go on the Department of Education website, you'll find some information about MCAS in general. Um, but we had to do a lot of digging to find some of the specific details because um, some of it has not really formally been released. So. In a phone call, we found out Friday, late Friday afternoon um, that the MCAS is right now just for, um, in. it's online, but it's, it's to be taken in person. They are not offering a remote option. Um, I do f- probably feel that when parents know this, um, that number will probably likely creep up. Um, As I said, since we just found this information out on Friday afternoon, that is some of the work that Dr. Cushing and I and central office have to now do with school leaders and as a district to figure out the logistics and the plans for how to approach um, in-person testing for the remote students or for the students that are in the remote learning model this year. So yes, currently at the time, there are only three students at the elementary level and at the middle school level and the high school level, principals have not heard from parents about opting out.
6: And the manner in which any parent, if they wanna opt out should be in a letter or an email, um, a phone call uh, would not suffice. And generally speaking, um, opting out of the um, both state and Uh, federally mandated by law. Um, So most states rely on the federal government. Massachusetts um, has its own law um, for the assessment system. Um, So it is generally speaking, not something that schools um, publicize or push um, as participation uh, is something that schools strive for um, based on those laws and the accountability. The state this year is using MCAS purely for diagnostic reasons, but not for, um, not for accountability. Um, So, but if a parent were a parent caregiver were to opt out, it should be in the form of a letter or an email to the school's principal, to the school
10: principal. Chair. Member Rousseau. I would just urge that now that I have now received four different text messages from people who have confirmed they have opted out, two at the middle school and one at the high school, um, that maybe there needs to be some kind of a systematic approach that principals are instructed they must use. Um, I mean, I, I, my memories of opting my kids out have always been like I sent an email and nobody said boo. Um, and and that... I that worked, um, I, just, I just find it hard to believe that, okay, I've got another one, somebody else who opted out. Um, so um, I'm not saying you didn't get numbers correctly from the people you talked to. I'm saying there is not a system in place for how principals are tracking this so that when you ask, you get an answer. Um, and it really shouldn't be a hard question to answer. And it seems really important when it comes time to the incredible efforts that they require of proctors and that whole shenanigans that the proctoring system requires—if um, they don't know who the kids are that have opted out—I um, mean, you're going to end up with some pretty angry parents if they—if ha- you force their kid to sit in front of the computer after you've been instructed, we've been instructed, no. Mm-hmm. So I just—I'm just worried about that. But I, I fully—I'm fully confident you all can fix this. I just want to make sure. That there's another email. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Member Kratz?
0: Yes. um, So I had a question. I did read through the report. And um, so I, you know, from what we've all read is that DESE doesn't currently have plans to offer the remote testing option. So all the schools must plan to offer the testing in school. So I had a question, you know, will there be enough space in each classroom at each school to accommodate all the students in in the cohorts taking the MCAS test while maintaining the six foot distancing?
7: So those are the logistical pieces that we are in the process of figuring out right now. Um, We, as I had stated, we just got that information through a phone call Friday afternoon. So I think they're giving a lot of flexibility to that we can test each cohorts on separate days and separately, we don't, so, Cohort B and C do not have to be together, um, you know, to take the test, Um, but those are the logistics in terms of, as Member Rousseau just mentioned, the proctors that are involved um, and the people that are involved. Those are the pieces that we now have to figure out. Thank you. And
0: then... um because I was curious what it was going to look like. And and I know in the report that you gave us, there was a link to the test nav tutorial so that you could get a look at it. And um, I was wondering if this if that link was going to be shared like in a memo so that community could then, you know, take a look at what the TEF SNAB tutorial looks like and get a feel for it. You know, there's tools such as like a ruler calculator magnifying tool, a lot of different features, and you can go through it and just see what it looks like and get a feel for it. Yes. Click. Going out. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Number three, we have resolution in support of expedited COVID-19 vaccinations for educators. See email for complete text. See a text offered by Member Graham and Member Russo. Member Russo. Uh,
10: Yes, um, I would be willing to not read, forego the reading of this resolution. If the members have actually read it, I don't Um, If there are questions and we're gonna get into it, then I would certainly be fine with reading it. Otherwise, I would be happy to skip it and just summarize it, If how does the membership feel? That'd be great. Um, So this this resolution um, was a resolution offered by uh, some other school committees. Um, It is urging the state, um, our state delegation and federal delegation to prioritize teachers um, for COVID vaccination. Uh, There is a very interesting dashboard that shows the whole country and where teachers are. And in Massachusetts, uh, like much of Massachusetts' rollout of the vaccine, we are not in a good place. Um, And teachers are not presently um, on the list of people that can be vaccinated. Um, The amount of nonstop, what about the kids?, what about the loss of learning time? What about, you know, all this stuff and then to not prioritize teachers so that they can go to school and teach our kids is really just almost incomprehensible. Um, so this resolution uh, urges that. And um, I, would, I would ask that we also put this up on, I, I'm not sure if it's up on the website in the packet of documents, uh, but should the public wanna read the entire resolution?
2: Thank you, member. So, member McLaughlin.
8: Thank you. Um, and so, urges, uh, thank you uh, for uh, putting this forward. And I just want to clarify for the community urges to whom. So, um, I believe M- uh, MASC put this out as a recommendation. So, is this something that we're putting back to MASC and adding our name to a list? Are we sending this to the state delegation ourselves? Like, what are the next, what what actually are you suggesting? Um, this, who, who this goes to?
2: The governor. Remember, Rousseau, is this a letter to the governor?
10: My apologies, I was muted. Um, it is, one second, I have uh, just accidentally closed my list of PDFs for today. Um, notebooks. Today is packets 2021. My apologies. Um, it is um, called on the, le- the state legislature, the governor, the ma- uh, it, 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 um, item number three uh, directs the superintendent to transmit official copies of this resolution to the commissioner of Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, the governor of Massachusetts, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Edward Markey, Congresswoman Catherine Clark, State Senator Pat Jalen, State Representative Paul Donato, Sean Garbley and Christine Barber and also to the Massachusetts Association of School Committees. Um, the number two on the list is to urge the MASC to actually advocate for this. They are not presently, it's not a presently a campaign of theirs to try to get this to happen. Um, so. Great.
2: Motion on the floor by Member Rousseau, seconded by Member Graham. Roll call.
8: Uh, Member Graham. Yes. Member Kretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone. Yes. Member Rousseau. Yes. Member Vanderkloot? Yes. Mayor Longo
2: Kern. Absolutely, yes. Um, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The paper passes. Dr. Cushing.
6: Um, Madam Mayor, I just wanted to take a second, uh, as I just saw something I come across my Facebook feed relating to the MCAS. Um, the, for high school students, there's still a graduation requirement. Um, and so I, I just implore secondary parents to stay tuned as more information comes out um, around this. But I noticed a message um, um saying about all students that are going to take it can opt but anyone can opt out this is still a graduation requirement for high school students and to please await as we are waiting for more information from DESE um, that I'm sure will be coming out very shortly um, but I, I don't want high school students or parents to think that the graduation requirement has been waived. Um, they're making changes to competency determinations and a number of other things relating to MCAS at the high school level, but um, we will provide clear and comprehensive information on this moving forward um, for our students and families. But I don't want there to be any misconceptions about the graduation requirement.
2: Thank you, Dr. Cushing. Um, next we have our, school committee condolences the medford school committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of frank Delessio, the technology repair specialist for the medford public schools mr Delessio was a 14-year district employee he will be sorely missed the medford school committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of john f Feely, a world war ii veteran and member of the mustang hall of fame The Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Norma L. Lasky, aunt of Fred Lasky, director of the MWRA, and Donna Lasky, a McGlynn Elementary school teacher. Also, the Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Kerry Honeycutt-Royce, niece of longtime Medford Public Schools supporter and owner of John Brewer's Tavern, Bill Honeycutt. The Medford School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Edna M. Grassi, who served over 20 years as an administrative assistant at the Medford Public Schools. The Medford Public School Committee expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Stephen C. Nardone, father of Stephen Nardone, a longtime supporter of the Medford Vocational Technical High School's electrical program. If we all may take a moment of silence. Thank you. That concludes our meeting. Is there a motion to, to adjourn? I am member Graham, seconded by. Vanderclute. Vanderclute, roll call, member McLaughlin. Member Graham. Yes.
8: Member Gretz. Yes. Member McLaughlin, yes. Member Mastone.
4: Yes
8: um member rousseau yes member van de kloot yes mayor lungo kern
2: yes seven the affirmative zero in the negative the meeting is adjourned have a great night everybody